rose from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of the Father until his enemies should become his footstool. And ten days later, poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, that the church would have the resources and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the job he'd given them. Pentecost is really uh, contingent on the fact that Jesus is seated on the throne. And when we look at the world today, we wonder just what on earth is going on. Is Jesus really on the throne? Is Jesus the Word of God, the fullness of God, the love of God, seated on the throne, the place of authority and power and control. Can we have the video, please? When we look at the Middle East, the Syrian conflict, the refugee crisis, what's happening around the world, that question, when everything seems to be chaos, what is God doing? And uh, I want to look at some answers to that question this morning, and the reading that I have is from Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 starts with the Lamb on the throne. Ascended, seated, pouring out His Spirit 
waiting for the nations to become his footstool. Revelation chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. He has a scroll which has the decrees of God written on it. And this scroll has seven seals. And I, John, watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown and rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come. Then another voice, sorry, then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A kilogram of wheat for a day's wages and three kilograms of barley for a day's wages, but don't damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Kind of a passage we don't read so often, and some people are intimidated by the imagery. What does this mean? It seems confusing. Uh, I want to suggest that actually it's very appropriate, it's very relevant, and it's very contemporary that Jesus is on the throne. He is reigning and is ruling and is unfolding world history. He takes the first, he takes the scroll and breaks the first seal and out comes this rider on on a white horse. Now, later in the book of Revelation, the rider on the white horse is clearly the Lord Jesus. But here, this rider on the white horse is in a series of evil riders. Riders of judgment, riders of doom. So this isn't Jesus. This is a false Jesus. This is an antichrist coming to try and enforce world dominion, build his empire, demand loyalty, 
and demand worship. Right through history, there have been antichrists who've come and said, worship me. If you don't worship me, I'll persecute the saints. I want to be the world ruler. I was in Korea last month, and I learned that when the Japanese occupied Korea, believers were commanded to bow before the emperor at the beginning of their Sunday morning worship. Right? The Japanese emperor wanted world dominion, and that was expressed by saying, you have to bow to me. And many Japanese Christians, sorry, many Korean Christians refused to do that and were martyred. And the result is actually the strength of the church in Korea today. Those martyrs and the blood of those martyrs were the seed of the incredible strength of the Korean church. So it's very difficult in a sense to understand that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, seated on the throne, the first thing he does is he opens a seal which allows a false Christ, an evil power, loose on the world today. Has he lost control? Why would he do that? And we have the same question again with the next one, where we have the, the red horse of war. And again, we have a, a contradiction that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. How is the Prince of Peace allowing war? Well, plainly, he does allow war, because since, oh well, right through world history, we've had wars. And one of the wars that is being played out on our TV screens these days is the civil war in Syria. The result of the Arab Spring and then ISIS and radical Islam and fundamentalism has destroyed the nation of Syria. Syria is a nation of 22 million people. Half of them are displaced. Half of them have had to leave home. A quarter of them are refugees because the country has been destroyed. About one and a half million have descended on the little country of Lebanon. Lebanon is a bit like Scotland. Actually, Lebanon is even smaller than Scotland. Lebanon has four million people. Just a little country out of four million. And one and a half million refugees have arrived. Can you imagine? We get worried about immigrants here in the UK. Lebanon is just totally overwhelmed. And there's people sleeping in tents in any empty ground. There's people in, under bridges. It's awful. And for the church in Lebanon, that has been a particular challenge because the church in Lebanon, the traditional Christian church in Lebanon, has a history of centuries of oppression by Muslims, and especially Syrian Muslims. So the church in Lebanon really doesn't want Syrian Muslims coming into their buildings. These are our enemy. These are our oppressors. They have deceived us. They have um, 
abused us. They're trouble. We don't want them. And that's been an issue that we in OM and others have been praying about in the Middle East for a long time, that the church, the Arabic-speaking church, the traditional church, the minority church in the Middle East would wake up and reach out to Muslims, but it never did. Why would we want to share with Muslims? If we shared the gospel with Muslims, they might get into heaven, and that would spoil heaven. So we're not going to share with Muslims. Really. And then there's a war. And there's one and a half million refugees. And there's folk on the steps of the church who are destitute. There's a mother on the steps of the church who's crying because she hasn't got food for her baby. And what are the believers going to do? These people are the enemy. These people are people we despise. And yet, the love of Christ in me constrains me to do something. I can't just harden my heart and say, go away. So OM and others in Lebanon have been helping the church do basic relief with sanitary supplies and food, but most of all, a listening ear and prayer. And these Muslim Syrian refugees have started to say, we want to know more. Can we come to your services? And the Baptist, one of the Baptist pastors... This is a Baptist story. One of the Baptist stories in downtown Beirut was at a pastor's fraternal. And he stood up and he said, God has ruined my church. What did he mean by that? He meant we were 200 members and now we have 80 refugees. And it's chaotic. Because these people don't know how to behave in church. The kids are running around. I mean, you are all very well behaved here. You're sitting, listening to me attentively and very quietly because you've been taught how to behave in church. These folk haven't been taught, so they're getting up and down, going out, chatting to each other. It's <laughs> and the traditional members of the church are a little bit upset because the decorum of our Sunday morning has been destroyed by these refugees. <laughs> so the pastor was moved to stand up and say to his brother pastors, God has ruined my church. Sunday school is chaos. These kids are a nightmare. <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> it's wonderful. We're finally doing what we're meant to be doing. The church is becoming the church. And uh, the last I heard was that this one church, it was 80 refugees, now it's 200 Syrian Muslim refugees. So the church has doubled. I've heard of other churches in Lebanon which have quintupled. That means it's five times bigger. And these are Syrian Sunni Muslims who are completely untouched 
very, very hard even to share the gospel, very hard for them to respond to the gospel. Virtually no converts from a Syrian, Sunni, Muslim, Arab background. And suddenly, all the prayers of decades, of centuries, are being answered. Prayers for the church in Lebanon and prayers for the Arabs of Syria. And how are they being answered? Why are they being answered? Because of this war. Because the Lamb is opening the second seal. And there's a red horse. And the rider's being given a sword. And it's dreadful. And the suffering and the trauma is indescribable. And that really asks a challenging question. But in, in God's economy, it is so important for Muslim Arabs to hear the gospel and for his dear church to wake up that he's willing to allow a war. I'm not sure that's a judgment call I would make. But it kind of opens my mind a little bit to God's priorities. That it is so important for lost Muslims to hear. And how are they going to hear? They're going to hear when the church wakes up and becomes the church. The second seal. The third seal is famine. A, a, a day's wages for a kilogram of wheat. That's about... That's kind of enough grain to make bread for the day. So your day's wages go on your bread. So you've bought bread for the family for the day, and that's it. There's no money left over for clothes, or for medicine, or for vegetables, or wine, or oil, the luxury goods. And that's the situation in Syria today. That the internal market is destroyed. Farmers have got stuff growing in their fields, but they can't take it to market. The economy is shattered. There's no work. Factories have been destroyed. So there is hunger. And again, you've got the question of how can it be that the one who fed the 5,000 would allow hunger if he's really on the throne? And again, the answer is, well, part of the answer is the story of what's happening inside Syria, where ourselves, OM, and other partners are enabling the Syrian believers, because there are still believers inside Syria, to feed the people around them. Just very simple feeding programs, bags of rice and bags of lentils and beans and basic staples handed out to people around the churches. And the churches of Syria are full. Somebody in Beirut, in, sorry, in Damascus said, we've been praying for revival for years and we thought revival was going to be a football stadium full with a big preacher. 
We never thought revival would look like this. Isn't that a scary thought? We never thought revival would look like this. And up in the north around Aleppo, in the Kurdish region north of Aleppo, uh, a, a partner, a local believer who's a kind of partner of OM, went back to his hometown because Aleppo was destroyed, started to share the gospel, people came to faith. Um, we've empowered that little church to be able to help people around. And now there are multiplying house churches in the villages in this Kurdish area. The last I heard was about 200 Kurds had come to faith. Now again, the Kurds of northern Syria were sealed off from the gospel. Under the Syrian regime before, it was impossible to go there. And if we did go there, they would not be interested. We're Muslims. We're okay as Muslims. Uh, we're doing fine, thank you very much. We don't want your message about Jesus. Until three years ago. When the world has been turned upside down and there's some people down the road in a church or there's a little house church in my village who are willing to help me. Something is happening with the Kurds. We've been praying, I've been, pray I've been praying for the Kurds for 30 years that they would open their eyes to see that Islam is a, is a disaster. And here, in the last three, four years, we start to see Kurds. Lena and I have a Bible study group of Kurdish lads who are refugees from Iran and from Iraq in our house. We never dreamt we would see Kurds in our house studying the Bible. That happened, started four months ago. I just hope you get a sense of we're living in historic times. Something's happening in the world among Muslims that we've only dreamt about before. And it's because of war, it's because of famine, and the fourth rider is death. which is even harder to get our heads around. Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. I have conquered the grave. And I opened the fourth seal, and it's the pale rider of death. There's been a lot of death. Hundreds of thousands of Syrians have died. And in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and in Nigeria, and in Somalia. We've got two Somalian friends who came to the UK as refugees because Somalia is completely destroyed. And the lady is called Shania. One of her, her friends sent her a, a, a link to a video online, and when she clicked on the link, she was horrified to watch a beheading video, to watch 
somebody die. A kind of ISIS video from Iraq. And her response to that was horror, shock. And she told us, I prayed from the heart for the first time in my life. Up to that point, I'd prayed many times, but I'd prayed in Arabic because we were Muslims. And now for the first time in my life, I prayed in my mother tongue in Somali. I cried out, God, is this you? Is this what you really want? Is this your character? Is this your nature? And the beautiful thing is that when we cry to God from the bottom of our heart, he hears. And uh, that night, she had a dream. And in the dream, there was this glorious shining figure coming out of heaven. And on earth, there was a great multitude bowing in worship. And she was one of the worshippers. So she woke up and thought, who was that? Who should I be worshipping? I think it should be Muhammad, but I'm not sure. God, show me who that figure was that I should worship. And the next night she had another dream. And this dream, uh, she was with her family and mum brought the Quran and said to Shania, please read for us because that's what she used to do. She could read Arabic. So she took the Quran from mum, opened it, and read. And in her dream, the words that came out of her mouth were, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which verse in the Quran is that? So the family said, that's not in the Quran, try again. So she took it again and again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the family get upset with her and they're going to abuse her in some way. And then she, in her dream, Jesus comes into the room and takes her out. So she comes to faith and joins a local church in Nottingham who do a good job of discipling her. And then the husband follows and they're now OM workers. Death, bringing life, and dreams happening so much among Muslims because God is pouring out his spirit, his miraculous spirit. That's what Pentecost is. And today, Jesus is pouring out his spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to reveal <coughs> and glorify the Son. And that's precisely what happened for Shania. She had a revelation of who Jesus was and was given grace to follow. The Somalis are another people among whom there are have been virtually zero Christians until five years ago, ten years ago. 
We, we really, I just, this is my message, we are living in unique times. That God is doing something extraordinary that has not happened in history. More Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 20 years than in the whole of history. And you and I get to be alive at this time. And we should be shouting hallelujah. We should be thanking God that we get to be alive at this crucial time in world history. Now it's not easy because the next one, I didn't want to shock you with the next one, but the fifth seal is martyrs. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. That's happening too. And we are not, the world, the, in this trauma and war, we are not immune to the suffering. This lady Shania and her husband Shinu made a video of their testimony and they put it on YouTube. And uh, a colleague of mine said to them, how can you put your video with your faces unpixelated on YouTube? They'll get you. You're making yourselves a target. And you know what they said? They said, when they kill us, we want the world to know why we were killed. Isn't that extraordinary? It's not, oh, no, we've got to hide so that they can't kill us. It, the answer was, when they kill us, we want the world to know why. We want our deaths to count. Actually, the Greek word for martyr and witness is the same. And they said, we want our martyrdoms, our deaths, to be as powerful a witness as possible. So, let's use YouTube and stick our testimonies on YouTube. And I was thrilled. Last month I heard that uh, a group of five Somalis were baptized in Cape Town, South Africa because of the YouTube testimony of Shan Shania and Shinu in Nottingham. I mean, this is something else that God is doing, is the way internet and technology is opening doors that we never had before. And people are being baptized in Cape Town because of a YouTube video, because a couple said, we're not afraid of dying. Which is a big challenge for the Western church today. Because we are very reticent about sending our young people to dangerous places. In the past we did, we sent people to West Africa with their coffins. And the result is the African church. But today we have health and safety regulations and risk assessments and it's very hard to send people to Afghanistan. Fortunately, God is not depending on the Western Church. 
but there are other parts of the global body of Christ today who are willing to pay the price and not afraid of martyrdom and understand what the Lamb is doing on the throne. The fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the judgment of the earthquake. The seventh, the seventh seal is in Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Another angel, verse 3, who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. And the seventh seal, brothers and sisters, is the prayer of the saints. The Lamb is on the throne. The Lamb is opening the seals. He's opening the seals in response to the prayers of God's people. The breakthroughs I've been telling you about uh, the gospel, how Somalis are coming to faith and Kurds are coming to faith and Arabs are coming to faith, that's happening because of prayer. Because the Lamb is on the throne and because the prayers of the saints are ascending as incense. A lot of what is happening can be shown to coincide with the prayer movements. For the last 20 years, there's been a, a great increase in prayer. YWAM has organized prayer through the month of Ramadan. And I, I wish I had the booklets here because Ramadan starts next month. Praying through Ramadan, praying for the Muslim world. And as I come to the end of this talk, and reflect on what the application is for us. There's the challenge of the Lebanese church, which was turned upside down. The challenge of the Syrian church feeding the refugees. The challenge of Shania and Shinu brought to faith by a supernatural intervention, bold in their witness, willing to die. And prayer. And I guess I have to finish this by saying, please, please pray. Get hold of prayer materials and pray for the Muslim world. Pray for Syria, pray for the Kurds, pray for the Somalis, pray for Afghanistan. Pray for Libya, pray for Algeria, pray for the Muslims who've come to this country. Because God is doing something. And is his church going to be part of it? Is the church in the UK going to be part of it? Is it going to see what he's doing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you died for our sins.
He rose again from the dead. You ascended into heaven. You poured out your spirit on your people. And you are now reigning and ruling. King of heaven. Seated in the midst of the throne. And the angels around your throne cry, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor and majesty and might. And we join them. Lord, pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit on your people. Fill us again with passion and love and zeal. Fill us again that we may follow our Savior, take up our cross, preach the gospel boldly, and pour out your Spirit on the world, on the Muslim world, that they might see Jesus. Because we pray in his name. Amen. Now we're going to sing a song, I Am Unashamed.